Welcome to Harrison Church. We're glad that you've joined us. To date, this podcast has had 4,301 listens. If you have any suggestions, comments, or concerns, drop us an email and let us know how we're doing. Audiovisual at harrisonchurch.org. This week, Pastor Shane begins his new series on the book of Revelation. Today's sermon title, Making Sense of Revelation, Part 1. beginning a new series for the next few Sundays on the letter of Revelation. Yeah! All right. This ought to be fun. Uh, But I'm going to go ahead and read a portion of the first chapter, um, and I want to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Scripture this morning. I'm going to be uh, starting at verse 4. Now, you will notice in your order of worship, if you have one, um, we actually printed out the full chapter of chapter 1 because I'm going to be touching on several of the verses, but... In keeping with our custom, here's what John says in verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's a pivotal verse and we're actually going to come back to that study it together. To him who loves us. And freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom. Priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'll be seated too. (laughs) All right, so um, a few weeks ago as I was uh, preparing for this uh, series, and I've been anxious about this. Uh, An old saying uh, came to my mind, maybe you've heard it, is that fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And I was thinking, you know, a lot of the pastors I know, they don't go here. Am I the nut to kind of rush in to go into this book uh, for the next few Sundays? Um, I'll tell you where the idea came from is if you've been um, here for the last few years, for the last, I think, three years in January, my sermons have been based on the questions that you, the members of the congregation, have asked me. And it was a variety of, of sermons, and, and, uh, but this year, I have to tell you, I have received more questions about Revelation than anything else. It doesn't even come close, and so I thought, well, this year, you know, I've been with you five years now, or in my fifth year, I was like, why don't we just, like, talk about Revelation? It seems to be on people's minds. Um, so this is, this is what we're going to do. Now, it's going to be different, um, as you can tell. Instead of me just preaching a sermon and it's got a point, um, what I thought we would do is that we would take kind of a tour of the, of the text itself, and that I could show a few things here and there, um, and we can maybe learn and try to get the gist of what John's message is. Well, someone in the last sermon says, well, you didn't preach. And I said, well, no. <laughs> uh, instead, we need to just kind of look at this, because most of the time, we all have opinions on the letter, on the book, but we never look at it. We seldom look at it because it, it makes us a little bit uh, afraid. Now, a couple of words before we really jump in, and um, I think it's important. The first is that there is no way I am going to be able to unearth every jewel and gem in this work. It's fabulous work. There are going to be some questions that you have that maybe I don't touch on, so I really encourage you to email me. Uh, stop by the church, let's, let's meet, Let, let's have a conversation, I love that, but just kind of know at the beginning, I won't be able to answer everything, but I will try to touch on some of the main things, 
And, and the second thing, and, and this is actually important too, is that John, and we don't know which John this is. There are some people who say, well, it's the John who wrote the Gospel of John. Well, we really don't have a lot of evidence for that. There might be some. The Greek is so different than John's Gospel. And um, the John that we're going to encounter in these pages, he's just different. Some of you, uh, you know, had Christmas dinner, and you had members of the family around the table. You know as well as I do that some of those family members, although they're still in your family, they are different than you. They have different opinions than you do about certain things. And John is, I don't want to minimize, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but I, John is kind of like the crazy uncle around your dinner table in a lot of ways. But God love him because he is, he's really what we would call a zealot for Jesus. And not a violent zealot, we'll get that, but he is just on fire. And we, we've got to listen to this voice. And he speaks sometimes very, hmm, he... He's on fire. <laughs> let's just put it that way. Um, but let's insist. Let's, let's look uh, together and, um, at this text. If you've got your insert, maybe you brought your own Bible. I hope you can see it. If you look at me at chapter 1. Now, today is, is basically just an introduction. I just want to introduce you uh, to kind of set, set the foundational rules. This is the syllabus for our next few weeks. Uh, but if you look at verse 1, I'll read that. And I am reading from the New Revised Standard Version. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Right out of the gates, John is setting the stage of what's going on. Now, there's an important word I want us to look at very briefly, and that is the word soon. You see the word soon? Soon take place. Now, I'm, I'm channeling my uh, professor of mine, Dr. Mickey Eford, a wonderful man at Duke Divinity School. But I remember he did a uh, Bible study or something on Revelation, and he said to the people, he said, Now, class, what does soon mean? Does it mean 2,000 years in the Middle East? No. Soon means what? It means soon. By the way, I will ask you rhetorical questions you can answer. Uh, soon means soon. It means imminent. It means near. Why is this important? Okay. And don't get bent out of shape. But, but John is writing to people about a situation, and he's trying to address it in the moment. And he believes that whatever is getting ready to follow is soon to happen. <laughs> soon means soon. Okay? I love that. What does soon mean? All right. Let's go back to the very first clause. The revelation of Jesus Christ, right out of the gate. Now, the Greek word that John uses for revelation, maybe some of you actually, your translations have this, and it's correct. Uh, we translate the Greek word apocalypto as, uh, as revelation, but apocalypto means what word? Apocalypse. Some of you may actually have the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. That is very critical to underscore. John's letting us know this is what Revelation is. It is an apocalypse. Now we have, um, we've talked about apocalypse or apocalyptic before. Um, apocalyptic wasn't the end of the world meteor strikes and as much as we think it is. Apocalyptic in the ancient Jewish world. John is thoroughly Jewish and in the ancient Jewish world apocalyptic described a certain way of speaking and it described a certain way of writing 
And it arose after this great event called the Babylonian invasion. Uh, the worst thing that ever happened to biblical Israel, probably the worst thing that's ever happened to Israel next to the Holocaust. Um, the empire of Babylon marched in one year, just destroyed Jerusalem, completely burned down the temple. They burned down surrounding cities in Jerusalem. It was just an awful event. And apocalyptic writing and speaking arose after that time. Uh, you can read the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. That is actually an apocalyptic book uh, in chapter 7. Uh, and apocalyptic work came uh, as the result of the people of God's experience with utter disaster. You know, if you read Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy says things like, well, if you do this, God will do this, he will bless you. Well, there were a lot of faithful Jews, and yet it was just total disaster. And so the ancient Jews began to ask ourselves, well, who, who's really the Lord and God of this world? Because it don't look like God is God. I mean, we're doing all the right things, and yet evil keeps befalling us. And so apocalyptic language arose after all these disasters. And the thing that we have to understand is that all apocalyptic literature, like this one, answers one question, and that is this. Who is really in charge of the world? Who is really the Lord of the world? Now, what John will do is he will answer that question for these Christian uh, communities. Now, there's a couple other things that I want you to know about uh, apocalyptic literature, uh, and it's this. Um, when you read apocalyptic literature, Jewish apocalyptic literature, this kind of language was always written from the perspective of the minority, of those who were excluded from power. Now, this will be a challenge. You know, so we, we've got to kind of hear what John's going to be saying the next few weeks from those who are on the bottom and not the top who have no power whatsoever. You follow me on that one? Um, I'm thinking of this hymn that was sung during the Civil Rights Movement. It's in our hymnals um, as well. We shall overcome. You know this one? We shall overcome someday. You know where that language actually comes from? It comes right out of Revelation. Okay? It's for people who aren't in power. It's from the minority perspective. So that, that's just critical for us to understand. Another feature of apocalyptic, and there's one more after this, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get going, um, is that apocalyptic language deals in black and white. Apocalyptic writers always split up the world into dualities. There is, there is evil and there is good. There is righteous, the righteous, and there are the wicked. There are the good guys and there are the bad guys and there is no middle ground. You are either one or the other. It's black or it's white. Now we struggle with that, but we've got to let John speak because we know there's a lot of gray in the world. You can read other parts of the Bible that deals with the gray that's in the world, but not in apocalyptic. I was just thinking now that I said the last service that this series I'm going to do and the way I'm going to do it, it's either going to be good or it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be one or the other. But John insists that this is the world as it is. And he's going to keep saying, you're either one or the other. You're either saved or you're not. But that's how apocalyptic works. Last thing that I think is so critical. Apocalyptic language in the ancient Jewish world was always the language of resistance. It was the, re the language of 
resistance. Resistance to what? It was always the language of resistance to systems of oppression or domination or authoritarian power. Especially imperial authoritative power. Apocalyptic was language meant to resist those powers, those authoritarian powers that oppress in the world. One of the things that uh, we'll see is that John will refer to um, the empire ruling in his day. Does anybody know which empire was ruling about the time John wrote this work? Anybody know? The Roman Empire. One of the things that John will call Rome is that he will not usually call Rome Rome. He will call it by another name. He will call it Babylon. Why? Well, the Babylonians, if you remember, they were the ones who came and just ransacked Jerusalem, ransacked the temple, ransacked the people of God, oppressed other nations. And he will refer to Rome as like his version of Babylon. Evil. There's no no middle ground for John. There's no middle ground. So the rest of this work that we're going to look at is really John encouraging his Christian contemporaries, his people to whom he's writing, to resist peacefully, we'll see that, to resist the domination and the authoritarian power of Rome. Um, if you've got your Bible, I meant to put this on the screen, my apologies. I think a really pivotal verse in Revelation is actually chapter 18, verse 4. We will come back to this a little bit later in our series. But if you read uh, 18.4, and I will get there. Well, it just keeps going to either chapter 1 or the very end. All right. 18, chapter 4. John hears an angel uh, speaking from heaven, crying out to the Christians of his time. And here's what the angel says. Come out of her, my people. Listen to that. Come out of her, my people, so that you do not take part in her sins. And the her that we'll see is the system of the Roman Empire. It's domination, it's, it's authoritarian power. And John is saying, come out, opt out. <laughs> Go against the grain there. So it's the language of, of resistance. Um, and, 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 and you'll also notice, if you read uh, books like Daniel, when you get to chapter 7, when you get across a Jewish apocalyptic, they always like to use these images of beasts. I saw a leopard, I saw a bear, I saw... Uh, Just a dragon. I mean, all of these beastly images. Why? Well, if you read Daniel, Daniel's clearly referring to the nations and the empires of his day. They're the beasts. Why would John want to say Rome's a beast? Reason is because by calling the Roman Empire a beast, it contradicted how Rome presented itself in the ancient world. Does that make sense? Um, for instance, here's a, here's a for instance that we may see. If you were living in the first century uh, during the Roman imperial days, you would have seen statues in various towns and cities of this goddess. And her name was Roma. Not Ro- like Roma Downing, right? Roma. And these statues of Roma were very beautiful. And it was to send a message like, you know, here, we, we are the Roman Empire. 
and we are beautiful, and we are peaceful, and uh, we are so alluring. <laughs> but John, apocalyptic, he, he, he contradicts it. And he will refer to Rome not as this beautiful woman, but as this harlot. Now think about this. It would be like me today. Do we have a female image of the United States today? Who is it? Lady Liberty. Now imagine me saying to you that she, Lady Liberty, is a call girl. Do you see the punch? And that's what, what, that is exactly what John is writing to the churches. Again, he's, he's kind of your crazy uncle uh, at the table, but that, that's who he, he is. So that's what apocalyptic is. But uh, this work is actually more than that. Uh, look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3 of chapter 1. John says this. He says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud. I'll, I'll get to that. Reads aloud the words of the, what word do you have? prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is what what does soon mean i had to go there time is near okay so it's apocalyptic but it's also circle the word prophecy it's also a prophecy now we think prophecy means uh, nostradamus stuff i'm going to predict the future or or the end of the world but remember we're dealing with a jewish text, ancient Jewish text. I think I mentioned this before, but prophecy in ancient Judaism, it did not mean future prediction. Um, like you have a crystal ball. There is an element of that. But what prophecy really was, think of it as a radical sermon, like an urgent sermon. In other words, a prophecy was understood to be when God chose somebody, a messenger, to deliver God's message to God's people at a particular place and time. That's what a prophecy is. It's an urgent sermon, and it's meant for you. And when a prophet came along, it was a sign of saying, you've got to listen. This is urgent. This is straight from heaven, and it's meant for you. Now, it's meant for us, too, and we'll try to deal with that. But a prophet is, is just like a, it's a sermon. It, it, that's, that's really what it does. So, so John wants the Christians, he's writing to, to, to say that this really is for us. Now, I want you to notice, if you go back, the blessing on those who read. Now, it's important that your translation actually have uh, an aloud there, reads aloud. Uh, the King James, I'll read the King James, it says, blessed are those who reads. And that implies like, you know, blessed are those who reads like this. Now, in the ancient world, they didn't have books like we have books. They didn't have copies of the Bible. They had just scrolls. But John is pronouncing a blessing on the person who reads this aloud and on those who hear it. So I ask you, what is the context that John intends for all of these words to be heard in? Worship. Church. Blessed are those who read this aloud like this. And... Blessed are those who hear it. Right? So John is like, yes, Shane's preaching on, on, my, on my book, and, my, and, and this is exactly where I wanted it to be done, right here in the context of worship. And the reason is, is that when he uses all these wild, outlandish images, the beast of the dragon, I mean, this would have conjured up all kinds of images. You'll be able to see this in your mind. And by seeing all these images in your mind, what John was hoping to do 
and is hoping he is still doing, he would hope that, is he's trying to shape how we see the world around us. Try to shape. That's what worship is supposed to be for John. Worship is supposed to be a place where we come together, we hear the words of Scripture, and that shapes how we see everything around us. That's actually my goal. Every, every week we come together. I, I, it's my prayer every week that over a period of time we hear the Scripture over and over. We say these prayers. We sing our songs. That all, all these things get into us and we begin to see the world the way God sees it. But it's supposed to happen in worship. And that's where it's supposed to happen. So it's a prophecy. Sermon. Radical. Now, listen. From God to you today. And, uh, and it's one last thing. Uh, look with me at um, verse 4. Now, this is what I read uh, to you from. Uh, it says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Notice how he begins. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now, if you are a student of the New Testament, grace and peace to you. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Paul. Because Paul begins every one of his letters with grace and peace to you. So here's the point. We know it's an apocalyptic. We know it's a prophecy, an urgent sermon for today. But it's also a letter. Now, why is that important? Because it was a letter written to certain churches. How many churches? Seven churches. Now, if you skip down to verse 11... Um, write in a book. This is what the voice from heaven is telling John. Write in a book what you see. Actually, the word book there would be a better translated scroll. Uh, write in a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. Oh, the church of brotherly love. And to Laodicea. Now, here, here's what's interesting. Uh, next week, I hope to show this to you, but if you were um, uh, like a mail person, you were a UPS driver, and your first stop was in Ephesus, which was on the coast. If you were to deliver a letter there, guess what your next town would be? Smyrna. And then after you left Smyrna, guess where you would enter next? Pergamum. And on and on and on. So John actually expects this letter to be circulated to these seven churches. And some people think, oh, well, it's, it must be a code to have all these churches lists like that. No, it's not a code. It's just the route. Yeah? They didn't have tracking numbers back then, but it's a route. So, but my, my point is that it's a letter, and you don't write letters. Think about yourself. You don't send an email to someone for people who are going to live 2,000 years later, do you? No, you're trying to address something that's happening now in their current situation. Um, and that's why that is so critical. But let's go back to uh, verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Man, that is packed. A few things. Seven. If you've got your Bible, you may want to write this in your margin. Seven in apocalyptic literature is the number that means completeness. When you see seven, you're talking about everything. So when John says the seven spirits, he's kind of saying, apocalyptically, that's the word of the day, isn't it? 
It is the complete Spirit, which we could refer to as whom? The Holy Spirit. Now, if you back up and it says grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, uh, God's name revealed to Moses was the name I am what I am or I will be what I will be or I will be who or what I will be. And John's playing on that. So right there we have God, the I am, who was and is, who is to come. We have the seven spirits of the Holy Spirit. And then he mentions whom? The point I'm trying to make is already in the early church we see Trinity. We already see it. People always was made up. No, uh uh They were already dealing with that. But let's look at what he says about Jesus. He says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Circle, uh, if you've got your Bible or whatever, circle witness, witness. The Greek word that John uses here is martyr. Jesus, the faithful martyr. It's critical. Remember how I said a few moments ago that apocalyptic was resistance language? Okay? Right here, by calling Jesus the faithful martyr, he's setting a tone. What he is saying to the churches is that the cost of your resistance, you're going to resist like Jesus did, live for God, you might just get killed for it. But, but, Jesus was a martyr too. And if you will die in his name, you will share in his victory. Right, so right out of the gates, right? Jesus was a faithful martyr. We will see that again. And then he calls Jesus the rulers of the kings of the earth. Oops, that's seditious. John sounds like a traitor right here. Because who in those days was considered the ruler of the kings of the earth? The Roman emperor. You see what John is doing? He's setting the tone. He's saying there's one in charge and it is not Caesar. Therefore, you've got to resist him. (laughs) But the cost for your resistance, if you do it peacefully, could very well be your life. Again, apocalyptic always asks, who is really in charge? And if you were living in the first century, it would have been all over the place. Caesar is. I said this on Christmas Eve, but Caesar was understood at one point to be the son of God. Uh, You would say on his birthday, hear the gospel. Caesar is Lord. And so the Christians would go around saying, here's here's the good news. Here's the the gospel. Jesus is Lord. Just a couple things and we'll uh, we'll be done for today. Um, Look with me at verse 12. I just want us to notice this. Uh, John in verse 12, he hears this great voice and he says in verse 12, on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands I saw one like the son of man. And then he goes on in verse 16 and he says, and I saw in this figure's hand he held seven stars. So you see seven golden lampstands and then seven stars there. Now, he's clearly referring, if you read the context, he's referring to Jesus and all of his glory. But here's what's funny. Sometimes we'll see seven, completeness, or we'll think that this has got to be a code. Well, what does seven stars and what does the seven landstands mean? Well, let's skip down to verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, this is Jesus speaking, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I bring that up because sometimes apocalyptic literature will tell you exactly what the images mean. 
We don't have to like get the Ouija board out and figure it out. He tells us. Isn't it interesting, though, he says that the angels of the churches, I mean, it's like John sets it up, it's like every church has a guardian angel. I don't know. Like Harrison doesn't have a guardian angel. But what I want you to notice is that going back up to chapter 13, look at what John says about Jesus in these seven lampstands, which are the churches. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man. And the lampstands are in verse 20, referring to the churches, the point is, is that for John, you know where Jesus is when we gather for worship? He's right here. We come to worship kind of nonchalantly sometimes. But we don't have to meet Jesus. We don't have to find him. John really believed, and Jesus is saying, that wherever my people are gathered, I'm right there. He says that in John's gospel as well, but right in the midst of us. He's here. He's with us. He really is God with us. Last thing, I'm going to send you back to verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful martyr, the ruler of the kings of the earth, not Caesar, to him who what? To him who loves us and who freed us from our sins by his blood. Man, underscore that. But Jesus is so stereotyped in the Scripture. In, in Revelation especially, he's vicious or he's vindictive. No. This letter's going to challenge us. John's going to say some things that are very, whoo. But it all comes, all of it comes from Christ's love for us. So the ruler of the kings of the earth is the one who died for you. The one who's going to judge you and me is the one who bled for you. It's good news. It all comes from Christ's love. Let us pray. Well, Lord, you are the God who loves us. And it's going to be hard for us to hear what John has to say, but I pray that we will open our ears, that we may hear what John was saying to the churches then and to the churches now, so that we will be your people set apart, a kingdom of priests in the midst of this world. Amen. Well, as we come to this table, I'll ask the servers to come forward. Uh, one of the things that we'll discover about Revelation is that there's images of worship everywhere in it. I mean, just everywhere, especially communion, eating. Revelation will even end with that moment where we are feasting together at Christ's heavenly banquet. So let's take a moment to partake in this meal that was given to us by our Lord Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us as it was poured out on the seven churches to which John wrote, that, that these may be for us now the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ until the day he comes in final victory. That's assured, and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Join us next week for part two of Pastor Shane's series on Revelation. For more information, visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.